Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash my money health check. You've probably heard of Witch Magazine, our home of hard-hitting journalism and informative stories delivered directly to our members. There's our travel, money and tech mags too. But did you know you can hear some of our best articles for free, available to listen to whenever you like? Each week on the Witch Shorts podcast, we bring you a specially selected story, lovingly voiced and produced especially for you, on a whole range of fascinating topics. Just search Witch Shorts wherever you're listening. When life gives you questions, which get answers. Hello and welcome to this Get Answers special from the team here at Witch. I'm Rob Lilly, host of our Witch Shorts podcast and producer of the award-winning Witch Money podcast. And throughout September, we're going to be sitting down with some brilliant experts, all with amazing insider knowledge that can help us all become better consumers and hopefully help us save some money along the way too. Now, you might have seen them on social media, perhaps on your TV screens. And today, it's my pleasure to say that I'm joined by Molly Lempriere. Molly is an energy expert working for UK-based news website Carbon Brief. And she's with me now. Molly, hello. Hi. Molly, it is so good to have you with us. It's only right, of course, that we should do a whole episode focused on energy because we've all been feeling the impact of higher bills over the last couple of years. I mean, firstly... Do you mind reminding us how we got here with bills much higher than we've seen previously? Yeah, so after the pandemic, um, we saw gas prices start to grow and grow and grow. Uh, This was largely, there was a glut of gas during the pandemic because it just wasn't being used. And then production kind of ramped down. And then when all over the world, economies suddenly opened up again and started having demand for it, prices went up because there was just demand scarcity. Um, And then on the back of that, we also had a very cold winter in Asia, um, which again used up a lot of demand because there was a lot of heating demand. So this was kind of towards the end of 2021. And at this point, prices were high. Prices were notably high in comparison with previous periods. And then we went into 2022 and Russia invaded Ukraine. And that just, that was kind of the final tipping point in terms of gas prices in Europe and yeah, it's had an impact all around the world. Um, Russia was the biggest gas supplier to Europe. Um, and therefore, by slashing the amount of gas that it was it was producing and giving to Europe, prices skyrocketed. And we had huge, huge spikes the whole way through last year. Um, the UK in 2021 imported about 4% of our gas from Russia. So we were actually much less dependent on it in terms of a supply point of view than a lot of Europe. But it's an international market, which means if prices go up in Europe, prices go up in the UK. So it still had this big knock-on impact on bills in the UK and the sort of availability of supply and the cost of supply. Um, On the back of that, 
I'm sure everyone remembers, household bills went through the roof. Um, We had prices, the price cap, which used to be set twice a year and was designed to protect households and consumers by setting a limit on what utilities can charge them. Um, That went beyond £3,000, which is something we've never really had before. If you think... um, in October 2021, for example, it was £1,277. So for it to then shoot up to over £3,000 was just huge. So then, Molly, if we kind of move forward, think about where we are right now. You know, you mentioned, actually, we were never that reliant on gas from Russia in the first place. But obviously, the impact it's had on on kind of global markets is is what's made the difference there. How have things changed now? Have we, you know, seen prices come down it's kind of being reflected in our bills, but but not really. You know, where, where are we at, at the moment? Yeah, so we have definitely seen prices come down, um, but they're still about double where they were pre-energy crisis, so sort of pre-2022. Um, and their gas prices are likely to stay high and elevated and above that level until at least the end of the decade, um, realistically. We have in the UK seen domestic bills come down as well. We had the new price cap announced for the final three months of this year um, very recently and that for a direct debit dual fuel customer is going to be £1,923. So this is the first time we've seen it fall below £2,000 since April 2022. So that's a great sign. Um, in some ways, it's less evident for consumers because we had the government stepping in with a number of different measures. Um, so we had the energy price guarantee, which superseded the price cap, um, which meant that consumers were still only paying up to £2,500 for the first nine months of it. Um, and then it went up to £3,000 after that. But we've seen prices fall below that level now. So that will cease to be of great importance. Fingers crossed there it won't shoot up again by next January and bring in the need for the energy price guarantee as well. Um, Above all, though, everything is just much more stable now. There's less concern about these huge price spikes and these huge um, sort of spikes in demand for uh, Russian gas. Part of that is because last year we were very lucky that we had a very mild winter. So actually all the concern that there was throughout the UK and Europe about blackouts and about being able to meet the level of demand that we needed um, kind of didn't really come to fruition very luckily we had all sorts of plans in place we had backup plan after backup plan after backup plan but also it just wasn't that cold and that meant people didn't put on their heating as much people didn't use as much gas and that allowed Europe to build up its stockpiles of gas in the UK as well um, we moved away from Russian gas very very fast like I said before we only used four percent before that Um, as of March this year, we've actually been completely Russian gas free for over a year. And we've continued that going forwards. And that does increase our sort of stability and security of supply going forwards. Now, I should also say that later on in today's episode, we'll also be hearing an excerpt from a recent episode of our money podcast, where which energy expert Sarah Ingrams goes through some of the things that we can do to bring our own bills down, and some of the support available if you're struggling to pay. Now, Molly, you mentioned things are more stable now than they were. If we move on, can you give our listeners an idea of what the UK's energy mix looks like at the moment? Are we moving towards energy sources that could eventually be cheaper for consumers, for example? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this has been a big sort of trend in the UK energy sector for a very long time. 2020 was very significant in terms of the energy transition because for the first time, renewables and zero carbon energy made up more of the energy mix than fossil fuels. And so year on year, we've had about 40% coming from renewables now, um, from which is great. That, that's a really solid chunk of of the energy mix. And uh, in July, for example, which is the most recent month that we have full statistics for, National Grid ESO, the electricity system operator, said that 52% of the electricity came from zero carbon sources. And that peaked on the 15th of July at 86% from zero carbon sources, which is great. We've come a huge, huge distance in terms of that transition. Um, gas was still the largest um made up the largest share of the energy mix um, for electricity. That was 30% in July, um, but 29% came from wind. So it's it's creeping up and it's it's getting much, much closer. I suppose that's kind of the perfect place then to lead on to my next question, which is how are we doing when it comes to our targets of, of moving towards more renewable sources of energy? I mean, do you mind reminding our listeners what the targets are and then how we are doing on, on our journey to meet those? So for electricity, we're targeting 100% zero carbon generation by 2035. Um, We have an interim target between that of 2025 when National Grid ESO expects there to be periods of zero carbon generation. So that will mean we'll have a particularly sunny, windy afternoon, um, probably in the spring, where we can absolutely meet 100%, but then overnight we might need more gas, for example. At the moment, the UK is doing overall pretty well. Um, We are still on track to make that electricity target. We had a report out from the Climate Change Committee earlier this year that said that that target is still achievable. Um, However, there are a few things that present challenges. Um, Most of these are kind of around the planning and the permitting and the grid connection. Renewables in comparison with lots of other technologies, are actually very easy and quick to build. A solar farm does not take that long. Um, In kind of lots of ways, it is sticking poles in the ground and sticking panels on it. Um, But what does take a long time at the moment is getting the planning permission for the site, getting the permitting in place, and importantly, getting a grid connection. Energy projects at the moment are looking at a decade in order to connect to the grid. So if we're talking about a 2035 target, that's only 12 years away and it's taking 10 years to just connect a project, which obviously puts a lot of strain on our ability to reach that target. If we come back to the question I asked earlier on, will these renewables once online, will they mean cheaper bills for us? Are they cheaper to connect to the network and therefore our bills will start to come down. So renewables are cheaper, um, kind of no matter which way you slice it. And um, we're increasingly seeing articles and people talking about how wind technology has gotten more expensive and therefore um, maybe it won't be as as wonderful as had previously been pitched. But no matter which way you slice it, renewables just are cheaper. Um, In the UK, we have a support scheme called the Contracts for Difference, um, which effectively provides a a guarantee of return of investment for um, those developing renewables. Um, Last year, when we had the results come out and we had the sort of price that was set for wind and for solar, at that point, renewables were nine times cheaper than gas. And that's a trend that we're fully 
fully expecting to continue. Uh, the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero um, reckon that offshore and onshore wind are going to be over 61% cheaper than gas in 2025. Where this all kind of hits a bit of a snag is to do with the fact that we have a marginal system in the UK. What that means is that it's the last marginal amount of generation that comes online that sets the price for everything. So if we had, say, say it's that very heavily renewable day in July that we were talking about earlier, where we have 86% coming from renewables. That's not setting the price for everything. What's setting the price is that final 14% coming on after that. And that's almost exclusively met at the moment by very high, very expensive gas. Um, So until we have a system that is not built for gas and coal in the way that we do currently until we kind of shift that and decouple renewable electricity prices from fossil fuel or peaking or marginal prices um, we're not going to be able to truly feel the benefit of the renewables but that doesn't mean it's not having an impact Um, because we we're not having to rely on those marginal prices as much as we might have done if we didn't have renewables on the system then we they would be able to charge a higher price for it. Um, and an additional thing, as I mentioned, uh, one of the things that gives us a very clear idea of renewable prices in the UK is the contracts for difference scheme. When power prices go above a certain point, if they have a CFD contract, if they have a contracts for difference um, support, they have to pay back to the bill bill payers. So last winter, when we had the incredibly high power prices, this is something we saw. We saw wind generators not being able to make huge, huge profits because when it went over a certain point that was already set, they had to pay it back. So they couldn't make huge profits on top of it. And that did help bring people's bills down. Moving house with kids. Mom! Moving house checklist. Top packing tips. Do it ourselves or hire movers? Things to do in the school holidays. Best solo holidays. When life gives you questions, get answers at which.co.uk. Scammers are stealing hundreds of millions of pounds every year. They bombard us with fraudulent texts, emails and calls. And what's more, their tactics are getting increasingly sinister. To keep across the latest scams, sign up to our free Scam Alert service to help you stay ahead of the latest scams and protect yourself. Go to witch.co.uk forward slash scam alert dash newsletter. That's witch.co.uk forward slash scam alert dash newsletter. Thank you. Now, this is interesting because if we then move on to something we touched on earlier, which is what we might see for our bills if we move towards more renewable sources. What would you say to anyone who's listening to this who might perhaps be worried that we'll see more expensive bills in the meantime as we transition away from those traditional sources like fossil fuels? You know, we've got to change a lot around the network and those sorts of things and those maintenance costs, for example. Are they going to be reflected in our bills? So is it going to be more expensive for us while we go through this process of transitioning towards renewables? It shouldn't really. We do need to build our infrastructure, in particular networks, but 
because renewables have already come down so much in price, that shouldn't really at this point drive up bills. One thing, though, that is another element of the energy system that is being taken into consideration by policymakers and by the sector is the weighting of subsidies. Um, So I've touched on it a couple of times, but the CFD um, is just a really clear example of this. The support for that subsidy comes from levies that are placed on people's bills. And that comes under what is often sort of dubbed the green levies. Um, They include a number of different things, but as part of that, we have the CFDs. They have historically always... And And what are the CFDs, sorry? Sorry, as part of that, those are the contracts for difference. Historically, these have always been on electricity. They still are. And that's not a very fair weighting in all sorts of ways because we're supposed to be encouraging people to move on to electrified systems. We're supposed to be arguing that they are greener and cheaper and better overall. And at the moment, we're still placing effectively a carbon subsidy on electricity, but not on gas. And that's not a very sort of equitable way of looking at it. Um, Green levies are about 8 or 9% of the average bill. So it's not a huge percentage, particularly when you look at it in comparison with like wholesale costs, which are the bit that is driven by gas and by this marginal pricing system. But it's still definitely something that we need to take into consideration while we're looking to incentivize this switch over to make sure that the cheapest option for people is also the greenest. We'll go back to renewables in a moment. But are we paying more than we need to be? Are suppliers charging more than they necessarily could? So the price cap means that they shouldn't be. And I think it's probably fair to say over the last couple of years, at least, that they haven't been. Um, Wholesale prices have just been so, so ridiculously high that it's been very difficult for suppliers to do anything other than charge consumers. Um, In 2021, when we first saw skyrocketing prices, we also saw a record number of utilities completely fold um, because they'd never really had to manage these high wholesale prices so that what they've been doing is offering deals to consumers at way below market rates, kind of on the basis that what they'd be able to do is get so many customers that then they could bulk buy energy in advance and then it would become profitable and then it would become that then the figures would add up for them um, that wasn't everyone there was a range of reasons why different utilities folded but that was something that was very commonly seen um, going as wholesale prices grew and grew and grew it has strained more and more and more um, and that's part of the reason why we also had the energy price guarantee brought in by the government because Ofgem developed the price cap by looking at wholesale prices and deciding what is fair for utilities to charge um, and that worked when we weren't in an energy crisis to a large extent um, but the Energy price guarantee was brought in by the government to supersede that so that they could still take into consideration what was fair for utilities to be charging on the basis of how much it cost them to buy the energy. Um, But recognising that it still was going to be just far and away above what most people could afford. Most people weren't going to have three and a half grand sat around for energy bills um so by taking on the additional part of that and bringing that into into general taxation um they were able to sort of protect utilities 
and allow them to still charge what was deemed fair by the regulator um, without having to put all of the burden onto consumers. Really interesting. So thank you, Molly, for explaining that. Now, if we stay on bills and, you know, we've talked about renewables and renewables are cheaper. So if we ourselves want to reduce our monthly outgoings, we want to transition ourselves. We want to take on that as as homeowners, for example. What are the best ways that, that people who are listening to this who might own their own home, they might want to transition to renewables what's the best way that they can do that and how can they make the switch? So there are a number of ways. There's a number of key technologies. So you have solar PV and heat pumps are probably some of the biggest ones. Over the first six months of this year, we've seen record amounts of installations for both solar and heat pumps. And that is partially because of these high energy prices and the general cost of living crisis and people looking at their homes and trying to work out what they can possibly do um, to save money in the long run. And also, I think lots of people are very much driven by the fact that we are in a climate emergency and you only have to look at the newspaper for all of five minutes to sort of realise that we need to be doing as much as we possibly can to transition to greener technologies and take advantage of what's out there to help us decarbonise personally. Um, so solar PV is a really good option if you have if you own your house, if you've got a rooftop that you can take advantage of. Um, and with the high energy prices and the high bills over the last year, actually, we've also seen the payback time for a solar installation come down massively, um, which is great to see in some ways if you if you're able to get solar I suppose it's probably not as cheerful if you're not um, but we're now seeing the pay back time for a solar domestic solar installation um, falling below 10 years for some it'll be as low as six years um, and a solar PV installation on a roof has a lifespan of around about 25 years it could be longer um, but that means that for well over half of the lifetime any energy generated by that is free it's yours to do as as you will with it um there are a number of ways that the government has looked to sort of incentivize people to take on solar and to sort of make the most of the technology we have the eco for support scheme which is designed for people who are on a range of different benefits um which can help uh, help with the upfront cost of getting a solar installation. And then also when you have the solar installation, we have what's called the solar export guarantee, which is the price utilities will pay you for any excess solar generation you have that you export into the grid. So if it's a fantastically sunny day and you've already put on your washing machine and your dryer and your oven and everything you could possibly do to use up the electricity and then you start exporting it to the grid you will get paid for that so that's an additional benefit of choosing that sort of a technology you also have heat pumps we've lagged behind lots of other countries in terms of the adoption of heat pumps um, there's been a lot of confusion around the decarbonisation of domestic heat that there hasn't necessarily been with electricity. Um, heat pumps are more efficient than gas boilers. Um, they have a wonderful reputation for, um, and very, very sort of positive reviews from the people who have them. But there is also a lot of misinformation and they still remain quite high in terms of an upfront cost, depending on how you look at them. Um, so... There's generally an argument that not all houses can have them. And this is because heat pumps run at a lower temperature than gas boilers. Um, they run at about 
40 degrees Celsius, depending on the heat pump, um, and a gas boiler will run at 70 degrees Celsius. We don't really need them to run at 70 degrees Celsius, is the thing. But because the UK has the leakiest housing stock in Western Europe, um, that means we lose a lot of heat through the walls, through the windows, through the lack of insulation and the single glazing. And therefore, if you don't have this additional heat pumping through the system that you can afford to lose without your home getting any colder, then that's often seen as a negative and you get the argument around how some homes can't have heat pumps because they just won't keep you warm. Um, all homes should have insulation fundamentally. Energy efficiency is one of the most efficient ways that we could tackle energy bills and the level of comfort people feel in their own homes. Um, so it really shouldn't be a negative and there was a, a bit of research done by the NG Systems Catapult uh, together with the government the other year that found that all homes in Britain could have a heat pump. Some are easier than others but fundamentally they can all have a heat pump and that's something that we should be pushing forwards with. The other thing that often gets talked about with heat pumps is how wildly expensive they are and as a technology they are still more expensive than a gas boiler. The government has the boiler upgrade scheme however which means that you can get a voucher for it's 5,000 or 6,000 pounds in order to install a heat pump and both British Gas and Octopus Energy have come out and said that they can now install a heat pump, if you have one of these vouchers, for around three grand, which puts them in line with how much it would cost to get a new gas boiler. So we are seeing the prices of heat pumps come down. We are seeing government support and the government's actually just announced a consultation into the boiler upgrade scheme to look at ways that they can make sure that more people are able to benefit from the scheme. So there is still pushing forwards and progress there, uh, which is good to see because yeah, heat pumps have lagged behind. We have a target of 600,000 installations per year by 2028. And at the moment, we're, we're not even a patch on that. It's interesting what you said there about the cost of replacing a traditional gas boiler and a heat pump. Are we now in a position, and it sounds like we could be, where if your old gas boiler were to break down, a heat pump is as good a, an alternative financially as replacing that with a, another gas boiler? I think for the right household, yes. Um, as I said, they run at a lower temperature and you do need more insulation in your home. This is absolutely not a negative thing. You should have the insulation anyway so there will be homes that particularly are a bit more modern and were built to a very high standard um, which will be able to fit a heat pump for a very equitable amount of money and they are more efficient when you start running them so overall they will save you money in the long run so absolutely we have a target for the end of the sale of new gas boilers in the UK in 2035. And that's something that there's a lot of confusion amongst the general public about. Uh, there was some research earlier this year from the ECIU that found over 90% of the population don't know when that target is because it hasn't been very well communicated and nor has the support that is available and out there for households who do want to make that switch well in advance and start taking advantage of more efficient heating systems. You mentioned insulation. So with insulation in mind, and as we've already touched on, if bills are going to remain high, if energy bills are going to stay around where they are for the foreseeable future, 
what can we do to reduce our monthly outgoings right now? Well, this is where I'm going to bring in Sarah Ingrams. She's our energy expert here at Witch. And this is what she told us on a recent episode of the Witch Money podcast about what we can do to bring down those bills. It's a good point that though the price cap will lower rates for October to December, it's also the time when we'll be using heating, turning on the lights against the dark winter evenings, and generally using more electricity and gas especially. So if you pay by a variable monthly direct debit, or when you receive a bill or you pay as you go, then you'll probably find that you're paying more than you did over the summer month. Last winter, remember, we also received that £66 every month, the Energy Bill Support Scheme payments. So this winter, bills will feel bigger because we're not getting those. To try to get your bills as low as possible, use your appliances as efficiently as you can. So that's things like using the eco programmes on the appliances which have them, washing your clothes at lower temperatures, drying your laundry outside while you still can, and washing fewer loads less often in the washing machine or only running your dishwasher when it's full, but also importantly, properly loaded so everything still gets clean. Then before the temperatures drop, you can also think about adding extra insulation. So topping up your loft insulation to the recommended amount will really help keep your home toasty without cranking up the heating. Also think about draft proofing different areas such as the chimney, the flooring, the edges around the skirting boards and other areas where cold air might seep in. And Sarah also discussed the help available for anyone who might be struggling to pay their bills right now. The first thing to do if you're finding it really hard to pay your bills is to talk to your supplier. It might feel like the last thing that you want to do, but it's the best way to get set up with some help. Ask it what you can do to help you keep up with your bills. So that could be things like paying by monthly direct debit or signing up for a different tariff if you're not currently set up with the things that are going to work best for you. It might also be able to give you access to its hardship fund and lots of the big suppliers do have these. If you miss one payment, you're not going to get disconnected for not paying your gas and electricity and your supplier needs to work with you to agree a payment plan that you can afford when you get in contact with them. So things they can do might be reviewing your payments and your debt repayments. It might be a reduction in your payments or a payment break. It might be giving you more time to pay and it might be giving you access to those hardship funds as I mentioned. However, if you feel that you're falling into an urgent financial crisis, there are organisations out there that are able to help. So try talking to Citizens Advice, National Deadline, Step Change, if you feel there's an urgent financial crisis. So some really important advice there from Sarah, and I'll pop a link to that episode of our Money Podcast in the description for today's episode. So Molly, back to you then. To finish, what does an ideal future look like? How will we get there and at what cost to the consumer? There's three questions in one there. None of them are really easy to answer. So sorry for leaving that till the end. No problem. Um, so I think the ideal future for the energy system, um, if we look at what the Climate Change Committee has suggested and predicted um, out to 2035 in particular, we're looking at something that is decarbonised. We're looking at something that is running predominantly off of renewables. So the Climate Change Committee, um, when they've done their modelling, is talking about 80% renewables. And then we have 10% that comes from nuclear and biomass. And then that final 10% is made up of flexible technologies. So this could be battery energy storage, this could be compressed air, this could be pumped hydro. um, And there probably is going to be a role there for... um, natural gas but with carbon capture and storage to decarbonize it and also definitely hydrogen um that's 
the ideal system in many ways. As part of that, we're also looking at as many rooftops as possible, having their own domestic solar power, having upgraded networks that allow all of this to be efficiently transported around the country. And also, I think one of the key things to emphasise about this is the that flexibility can come from a whole range of different technologies. And when we're talking about the ideal system going forwards, it's one where really consumers are brought along for that, that element of flexibility. The wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine. We're very well aware of this. This has been baked into the design for the system. But as part of that, we are going to have times where we need to turn generation up or even turn demand up. And within that, the consumer can definitely benefit. Uh, You have systems around smart charging. We've already seen a number of different electric vehicle tariffs, for example, where consumers are being paid to charge their electric vehicle overnight because there's so much wind generation on the system that they're either going to have to turn wind farms off um, or find somewhere for it to go. And consumers, if you have an electric vehicle, if you have the right tariff, if you have a domestic smart charger, then you can already benefit from that. And that's an opportunity that's only going to grow and grow and grow. Um, not all homes are lucky enough to have a domestic charger and to have all of those technologies available. So sort of the final thing I'll say on what an ideal system looks like is it's one where we bring everyone along. We don't only allow the great benefits that could come with these lower prices from renewables to be utilised and to be really sort of appreciated by a select few. We need to make sure that these are being passed on to absolutely everyone, particularly those from lower income brackets. Um, Yeah, making sure everyone has a fair bill. Molly, it's been fascinating chatting. So thank you so much for being here. Really, really appreciate all the expertise you've been able to give today. No problem. Thanks for having me, Rob. A huge thank you to Molly for coming on the show today. And we hope you've enjoyed this Get Answers special. And as I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'll be back with more throughout September. So stay tuned. If you enjoyed today's show, then make sure to check out our weekly money podcast too. And don't forget to listen to our award-winning journalism. To do that, you can search for our Which Shorts podcast wherever you're listening. And another reminder that you can get answers to all manner of questions on the Witch website. Just go to witch.co.uk. Today's Get Answers special was presented and produced and recorded by me, Rob Lilly, and edited by Eric Breer. When life gives you questions, Witch, get answers. Hi there, Harry from Witch here. Our research has found that millions of families are skipping meals to survive the cost of living crisis. And our figures show that over 8 in 10 people in the UK are having to make adjustments to save money on food. With the price of essential products soaring, we believe that supermarkets have to step up to the plate to help us all. That's why we've launched the Affordable Food for All campaign calling on the big supermarkets to take action and make a real difference to communities across the UK. If you agree and would like to join our campaign, then sign our petition at witch.co.uk slash affordable food and use the hashtag affordable food for all on social media. Thank you. <laughs>